Hello all my nieces and nephews, and welcome to Auntie JoJo's Library. My library is open to all listeners, but it was specifically created for my seven wonderful nieces and nephews. Last episode, we read chapters one and two from the Calico Illustrated Classics, A Christmas Carol. This book is written by Charles Dickens and Lisa Malarkey and is illustrated by Howard McWilliam. Today, we will be reading chapters three and four and we'll finish this book on December 22nd. Chapter three, the second of three spirits. Scrooge woke up right in the middle of a snore. He needed no one to tell him that the bell was about to strike one. He awoke in the nick of time, for this time he wished to be confronted by the spirit the moment it appeared. He didn't want to be taken by surprise and become nervous. Scrooge was prepared for a strange appearance to occur before him. Nothing between a baby and a rhinosaurus would have surprised him. Now, being prepared for almost anything, Scrooge was not prepared for nothing. So when the bell struck one and no shape appeared, his body trembled. Five minutes? Ten minutes? A quarter of an hour went by, yet nothing came. All this time, Scrooge lay on his bed. His bed was in the middle of the blaze of light. The light streamed upon it when the clock struck the hour. Although it was the only light, Scrooge found it was an alarming as a dozen ghosts since he didn't know where the light came from. After a while, he began to wonder about the source of light. Could it come from the adjoining room? He got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. The moment Scrooge's hand was on the lock, a strange voice called him by name. It told him to enter. He obeyed. It was his own room. There was no doubt about that, but it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and the ceiling were hung with the living greens, holly, mistletoe, and ivies. Heaped on the floor was a sort of throne made of turkey, geese, chickens, pigs, mince pies, and sausages of all sorts. Juicy oranges, luscious pears, and a bowl of punch towered high. Upon this throne sat a jolly giant. It had a glowing torch, and it held up high to shed its light upon Scrooge. Come in, said the ghost. Come in and know me better. Scrooge entered timidly and hung his head before the spirit. He was not the stubborn Scrooge he had been. Although the spirit's eyes were clear and kind, Scrooge didn't want to see them. I am the ghost of Christmas present, said the spirit. Look at me. Scrooge obeyed once more. It was clothed in a simple, deep green robe trimmed with white fur. On its head, it wore a holly wreath with shining icicles. Its dark brown curls were long and flowing. It had sparkling eyes, open hands, and a cheery voice. A joyful air surrounded it. Have you ever seen the likes of me before? The spirit asked. Never, said Scrooge. Bring me where you will. I went forth last night and learned a lesson. It's working now. Tonight, if you have to teach me, let me learn from it. Touch my robe, commanded the spirit. Scrooge did as he was told. All the food that made up the throne vanished. So did the room, the fire, and the glow. Scrooge and the spirit were now on the city streets on Christmas morning. There was music in the air as the men scraped the snow from the sidewalks. The sky was gloomy. The chimneys were as black as night. 
it was as if the chimneys in great britain blazed away their heart's content there was nothing very cheerful about the town yet there was an air of happiness for the people shoveling away were full of joy they called out to each other and threw snowballs the shops were half opened if one peered inside and saw the mountains of pears and grapes his mouth would water the scent of coffees and teas made one's nose grateful the cinnamon sticks were long and straight it was a hectic scene inside as the shoppers lost sight of their baskets and jostled about the shopkeepers kept peace with their polished hearts soon the steeples called the good people to the churches and the chapels the people flocked through the streets dressed in their finest clothes at the same time many people emerged from the nameless streets and dark corners they carried their dinners to the baker's shop the sight of the poor appeared to interest the spirit very much it stood in a baker's doorway with scrooge beside it as the poor passed the spirit took off the covers of their plates and sprinkled incense on their dinners from his torch scrooge noticed it was a very odd torch when angry words passed between some of the dinner carriers, the spirit shed drops of water on them from the torch. Their good humor and friendly faces returned at once. Then they said it was a shame to fight on Christmas Day, and so it was. God love it, so it was. In time, the bells stopped and the baker's shutters closed. The poor smiled as they cooked their meals above each baker's oven. The pavement smoked as if the stones were cooking, too. "'Is there a particular flavor you sprinkle from your torch?' Scrooge asked. "'There is,' said the spirit. "'My own.' "'Would it apply to any kind of dinner on this day?' asked Scrooge. "'To any, but a poor one most.' "'Why to a poor one most?' asked Scrooge. "'Because it needs it most.' They moved on, invisible as before, into the suburbs of the town perhaps it was the generous kind nature of the spirit and its sympathy with the poor that led them to the house of his clerk the spirit took scrooge right to the door of bob cratchit's house it blessed the home and sprinkled water from its torch upon it to think the ghost of christmas present would bless this four-room house miss cratchit inside preparing christmas supper Scrooge noticed her dress was old. Although shabby, it was adorned with new ribbons. It was a dress made with the help of Belinda Cratchit, the second of her daughters. Belinda's dress also bore woven ribbons to make the dress come alive at once. Master Peter Cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes. He was wearing his father's shirt. It was many sizes too large for the young Peter but the size didn't matter to him. He felt honored to be dressed so fancy on this special day. The two smaller Cratchits, a boy and a girl, came running in from the cold. They said they had smelled the goose cooking as they approached. Knowing it was their goose simmering in the oven made them run home with greater speed. The young Cratchits danced around the table with Peter tending to the potatoes. Peter blew the fire until the potatoes, bubbling up, knocked loudly onto the saucepan lid. They begged to be let out and peeled. "'What has your precious father tied up?' said Miss Cratchit. "'And your brother, Tiny Tim. "'And Martha is late on Christmas Day by an hour and a half?' "'Martha is here, mother,' said Martha as she appeared in the doorway. "'Her face glowed. "'Here's Martha, mother,' cried the two young Cratchits. "'Hurry, there's such a goose for us to eat, Martha.' 
Miss Cratchit moved towards Martha. She kissed her cheek a dozen times while removing her shawl and bonnet. Why, bless your heart, my dear, you're home at last. Hooray! We had so much work to finish last night, said the girl, and we had to clear what was left for today. She kissed her mother's cheek. It's good to be home, to be home at last. Well, said Miss Cratchit, never mind the work, so long as you are home now with us. Come and sit before the fire and get warm. May God bless you. Look, look, shouted the two younger Cratchits. Father's coming. Hide, Martha, hide. What a surprise it'll be. They jumped up and down at the thought of this surprise. So Martha played the game. She hid as the door opened. Mr. Cratchit took off the comforter that he had to warm him so. He draped it over the chair by the fire. His clothes were worn and tattered. But Miss Cratchit had darned and brushed them to make them look seasonable. Tiny Tim sat upon his father's shoulder. He bore a small crutch and his legs supported by an iron frame. Why, where's our Martha? asked Mr. Cratchit, looking around. Not coming, said Miss Cratchit. Not coming, said Mr. Cratchit. Not coming on Christmas Day? Martha didn't like to see her father disappointed, even if it were only a joke. She came out from behind the closet door and ran into Mr. Cratchit's arm. It was a joyous reunion. The two younger Cratchits hustled Tiny Tim into the washroom. How did little Tim behave? asked Miss Cratchit after Mr. Cratchit had hugged his daughters to his heart's content. As good as gold, said Mr. Cratchit. Better than good as gold. He sits alone so much thinking of the strangest things. Coming home, he told me that he hoped the people saw him in church. Because he was a crippled, he hoped that people who would remember who it is that makes lame beggars walk and the blind men see. Mr. Cratchit's voice cracked when he said this. He wiped away a small tear. Our boy's getting stronger and heartier, stronger and heartier by the day. Soon, Tiny Tim's crutch was heard upon the floor as he joined the others around the fire. At last, the dishes were set upon the table and grace was said. When the goose was sliced, the Cratchit children beat on the table with their knives and shouted, Hurrah! The goose was perfect. Applesauce and mashed potatoes rounded out the dinner. It was a small dinner, but one that filled their bellies. Soon their plates were changed out by Belinda as Mrs. Cratchit left the room. She had pudding on her mind. Only pudding. Miss Cratchit had spent a great deal of time fretting over the pudding. What if it's not enough? What if it's not done enough? Suppose I should break it when I turn it out? All sorts of horrors were supposed. And Miss Cratchit's pudding turned out fine. Better than fine. A most wonderful pudding, said Mr. Cratchit. He thought it was one of her greatest cooking achievements to date. I was worried I used too much flour, confessed Miss Cratchit. Really, it was so fine that she shouldn't have worried one bit. Everyone had something to say about the glorious pudding, but nobody dared say that it was such a small pudding for such a large family. Any Cratchit would have blushed at the mere mention of such a thing. At last, the dinner was all done. The dishes were cleared. The hearth was swept and the fire stoked. Apples and oranges were placed upon the table. A shovel of chestnuts were heaped upon the fire. Then the Cratchit family sat around the hearth. At Mr. Cratchit's elbow stood a jug, two glasses, and a custard cup with a handle. The glasses were just as good as any golden goblets they could have had. Even better, thought Mr. Cratchit. He poured the liquid from the jug into the glasses while the... Chestnuts on the fire sputtered and cracked noisily. Then Mr. Cratchit made a toast. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless. 
The entire family echoed the sentiments. God bless us, every one, said Tiny Tim, the last of all. Mr. Cratchit held his withered little hand in his own. He held it tightly. It was as if he never wanted little Tiny Tim gone from his side. Spirit, said Scrooge, with an interest he had never felt before. Tell me if Tiny Tim will live. D does he live? I see an empty seat, replied the ghost. In the poor chimney corner, there's a crutch without an owner as well. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, screamed Scrooge. Oh, no, kind spirit, say he will be spared. Please tell me he'll be spared. He's just a young lad. The spirit spoke once more. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, he will die. If he does die, he better do it soon and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge hung his head low when he heard his own harsh words quoted by the spirit. He was overcome with sadness, regret, and grief. Man, said the ghost, who are you to decide who shall live and who shall die? In heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Trembling, Scrooge bent before the spirit and cast his eyes towards the ground. But he raised them upon hearing his own name come from the lips of Bob Cratchit. Mr. Scrooge, said Mr. Cratchit, I'll give you Mr. Scrooge. He's the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast indeed, cried Mrs. Cratchit, her face reddened. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon. I'd hope he'd have a good appetite for it, too. My dear, said Mr. Cratchit, the children. And it's Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I'm sure, on which one drinks to the heath of such a stingy, unfeeling man as Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows his awful ways more than you. Poor fellow you are. My dear, said Mr. Cratchit, it's Christmas Day. I'll drink to his health for your sake, as well as the day's sake, said Mrs. Cratchit, but not for his sake. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, no doubt. The children drank the toast after her. There was no heartness in it. Tiny Tim drank last and didn't care for the drink at all. Scrooge was the last troll of the family. The mere mention of his name cast a dark shadow on the party. After five minutes, the festive mood returned. Mr. Cratchit brightened the mood with the news that he might have found young Peter a job. A job that paid a full five and six pence weekly. The younger Cratchits laughed when they thought of Peter as a man of business. Soon, under the crackling and popping of the chestnuts, the family started to sing Christmas carols. They sat singing as they continued to warm themselves around the fire. There was nothing truly grand about this scene. There were not a handsome family, not well-dressed at all. Their clothes were tattered. Their shoes were far from being waterproofed. Their table was often empty, but they were happy, grateful for what they did have, content with one another. When they faded from Scrooge, they looked happier yet in the bright sprinkling of the spirit's torch. At parting, Scrooge had his eye upon them, especially Tiny Tim. By this time, it was getting dark. The snow fell heavily as Scrooge and the spirit walked along the streets. As they looked in all windows, 
they could see preparations of cozy dinners taking place. No matter where the ghost walked, people felt its generous spirit. They came alive with the glad tidings. Even the lamp lighter who planned to dot his dusky streets with specks of light all night long laughed aloud as the spirit passed him. And now, without a word of warning from the ghost, they stood upon a bleak moor. What is this place? asked Scrooge. A place where miners live. They labor in the depths of the earth, the deepest, darkest places. But look, they know me. See? Scrooge walked towards the light. It shone from the window of a hut. Passing through the wall of mud and stone, they found a cheerful group. Many generations sat together singing Christmas songs. All found a warm smile from each other, and they huddled closely to stay warm. But the spirit did not stop here. It told Scrooge to hold its robe, and they continued on. They found themselves out to sea. Scrooge's ears were deafened by the thundering of water. It raged and it roared among the dreadful caverns it had made. Built upon a dismal reef of sunken rocks stood a single lighthouse. Great heaps of seaweed clung to its base. Storm birds rose and fell about it. But even here, two men who watched the light had made a fire and wished each other a Merry Christmas. The older one, with his face damaged and scarred from the hard weather, sang a sturdy song of Christmas cheer. Again the ghosts and Scrooge sped on above the black, heavying sea. They stopped on a ship and stood beside the helmsman at the wheel. The sea life was rough, yet each man had good thoughts for the other on that particular day. All shared in, to some extent, the festivities of the day. Each remembered someone they cared for. Every one of them was delighted and comforted to know that someone cared for them. Scrooge thought, how dark and lonely this life must be, yet these men are happy. They thought only of bringing happiness to others. In an instant, he was surprised to hear a hearty laugh. He was even more surprised to find the laugh belonged to his nephew. He looked around, and he found himself in the bright, gleaming room of his nephew's home. Ha, 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 laughed Scrooge's nephew. Ha, ha, ha. If you should happen to know a man more blessed in laugh than Scrooge's nephew, I should like to know him. There is nothing in the world more contagious, not even a disease, as a good laughter and good humor. When Scrooge's nephew laughed in this way, holding his sides and twisting his face in the strange contortions, everyone around him laughed. He said Christmas was humbug. Can you believe that? cried Scrooge's nephew, and he believed it too. He actually meant it. More shame for him, Fred, said his wife. Scrooge took note of his niece by marriage. She was very pretty. She had the sunniest eyes he ever saw. He's a comical old fellow, said Fred. That's the truth. He's not as pleasant as he could be. However, his offenses carry their own punishment, don't they? I have nothing to say against him. Not a word. Sure, he is very rich, said Scrooge's niece. At least, that's what you always tell me. What of that, my dear, asked Fred. His wealth is no use to him. He doesn't do any good with it. He doesn't make himself comfortable with it. He hasn't any satisfaction in thinking that he is ever going to benefit us with it. I have no patience with him, said Scrooge's niece. All the women in the room nodded in agreement. Oh, I have, said Fred. I am sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers because of his ways? Himself, always. He takes it into his head to dislike us. 
He refuses to dine with us. What's the consequence? He misses a great meal and our merry moments. I give him the same invite each year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. He'll always find me in good temper going there on Christmas Eve and saying, Uncle, how are you? If it only puts him in the mood to leave his clerk an extra 50 pounds, that's good enough for me. I think I rattled and shook him yesterday. Now the guests roared with laughter at the thought of Scrooge being shaken and rattled about. After the fine meal, they turned to music, games, and tea. Scrooge's niece sat upon the harp and played a song. Scrooge recognized it from his childhood at the boarding school. This reminded him of the ghost of Christmas past. When the notes played, all the things that the ghost had shown him came upon his mind. He softened more and more. Perhaps if he had listened to more music like this years ago, he might be a kinder man now. Instead, he followed in Jacob Marley's ways. Although the guests didn't know it, Scrooge joined in on the songs and games. The ghost was greatly pleased to find Scrooge in such a happy mood, but when Scrooge begged to stay until the last guest left, the spirit told him it was not possible. The new game would be Scrooge's last, and what a game it was. It was called Yes and No. Scrooge's nephew had to think of something, and the guests had to guess what it was by asking questions that would be answered only by yes or no's. The questions shot out like rapid fire. Finally, the niece, the niece's sister guessed correctly. It's your Uncle Scrooge, which it certainly was. Many objected to Fred's answer of no to, is it a bear? Because to them, he was. He has given us plenty of merriment, I am sure, said Fred. It would be ungrateful not to drink to his health. He held his mulled wine. To Uncle Scrooge. Uncle Scrooge, they all cried. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to the old man wherever he is. He wouldn't take my glad tidings, but may he have them anyways, said Fred. If only the ghost had given him time, Scrooge could have applauded the speech and thanked each one. But the whole scene passed off in the last breath spoken by Fred. The spirit and Scrooge were once again on new travels. No matter where they visited, they were always met with happy people. In hospitals, jails, street corners, it was all the same. The people's hearts were filled with happiness and gratefulness for each. In many cases, people had very little, but they were grateful for what they had. When they left another party, Scrooge noticed the graying hair of the ghost. Are spirits' life short? My life upon this globe is very short, said the spirit. It ends tonight. Tonight? cried Scrooge. Tonight at midnight, said the spirit. The time is drawing near. The chimes were ringing three quarters past eleven at the moment. Forgive me for asking, said Scrooge. But I, I see something coming from under your robe. Is it a foot? Claw? The spirit answered sorrow sorrowfully, look. It pulled its robe back slowly. From the foldings of the robe came two wretched, miserable children. They knelt at the spirit's feet and clung to its garments. They were a boy and a girl. They were ragged, yellow, meager, and scowling. Where grateful youth should have filled their faces, a stale and shriveled hand had twisted their features every which way. Scrooge stared. He was appalled. He tried to say they were fine children, but he choked on the word. Spirit? Are they yours? Scrooge could say no more. 
They are man's, said the spirit, looking down upon him. The boy is ignorance, and the girl is wont. Beware of them both, but most of all, beware of the boy. Look on his brow. The word doom is written. Unless the writing can be erased. Have they no refuge? asked Scrooge. No one to help? Are there no prisons? said the spirit, turning on him for the last time with his own words. Are there no workhouses? The bell struck twelve. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and didn't see it. At the last stroke, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley. Lifting up his eyes, he saw a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. Chapter 4 The Last of the Spirits The phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. When it came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee. For the very air through which the spirit moved seemed to scatter in gloom and misery. The spirit was covered in a deep black garment. It concealed everything except one outstretched hand. If not for this hand, it would have been difficult to separate the phantom from the darkness of night. The phantom's mysterious presence filled Scrooge with dread. He knew nothing of the spirit, for it neither moved nor spoke. I am in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come, asked Scrooge. The spirit didn't answer. It pointed onward with its hand. You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not yet happened, but they will happen in time. Is that so, spirit? The upper portion of the phantom's garment contracted for a minute as if the spirit shook its head. That was the only answer Scrooge received. Although he was used to ghostly company by this time, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled. He could hardly stand as he prepared to follow it. The spirit paused a moment as if observing his trembling legs and gave him time to recover. This made Scrooge even more scared. It scared him to know that behind the dark covering, ghostly eyes could see Scrooge. But he could see nothing but blackness. Ghost of the future, he exclaimed. I fear you more than any ghost I have seen, but I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be a better man than I was, I am prepared to come with you. I will do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on, said Scrooge. Lead on. The night is moving quickly, and time is precious to me. I'm ready. Lead on, spirit. The phantom moved away as Scrooge came towards him. Scrooge followed in the shadow of its dress, which seemed to carry him along. They soon landed in the heart of the city. It was a scene Scrooge had often seen. Merchants counted their money, hurried up and down the streets, and conversed in groups. Many had been looking at their watches and laughing. The spirit stopped beside one group of men. Observing that the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge walked forth to hear their talk. No, said a great fat man with a huge chin. I don't know much about it. I only know that he is dead. Dead for sure. When did he die? Another man asked. Last night, I believe said the first man. Yes, last night. What was the matter with him? asked a third. I thought he'd never die. God knows, said the first. 
"'What has he done with his money?' asked a red-faced man. "'I haven't heard,' said the man with the large chin. "'Left it to his company, perhaps? "'He hasn't left it to me or you that I know.' "'Everyone laughed at the man's last comment. "'It's likely to be a cheap funeral,' said the same man. "'I can't think of a single person who will attend. "'Suppose we make up a party and volunteer?' "'I don't mind going if lunch is provided,' answered someone. "'Everyone laughed again.' Speakers and listeners strolled away, leaving Scrooge perplexed. Scrooge knew the men and looked towards the spirit for an explanation. The phantom glided on the street. Its finger pointed to two people meeting. Scrooge listened in again and thinking that the explanation might be with them. He also knew these men. They were wealthy and of great importance. He had always made a point of standing well in their presence, strictly from a business point of view, of course. "'How are you?' said one. "'How are you?' returned the other. "'I'm well,' said the first. "'Old Scratch has got his own at last, eh? "'He's gone.' "'So I am told,' said the second. "'He looked about. "'Cold, isn't it? "'Seasonable time of year. "'You're not a skater, I suppose.' "'That was their meeting from start to finish, "'Old Scratch and ice skating. "'This didn't help Scrooge one bit. "'He was just as confused as before.' "'At first, Scrooge wondered why the Phantom "'would have listened to him in such a silly conversation, but he felt assured that it must mean something. They couldn't possibly have anything to do with Jacob Marley's death, for that was the past and this was the ghost of future. Nor could he think of anyone connected with himself who could be connected to them. Scrooge resolved to treasure each word he heard and everything he saw. He especially vowed to observe the shadow of himself when it appeared. He was convinced that his future self would give him clues he missed. He looked about in his very place of work for the shadow of his future image. Though he, though the clock pointed to the usual time of day for his being there, he saw no likeness of himself. Rather, another man stood in his place. Quiet and dark, beside him stood the phantom with his outreached hand. Scrooge shuddered to think that the phantom stared at him. He felt cold and shivery. They left the busy street and went to an obscure part of town. Scrooge had refused to venture into this part of town in the past. It was filthy. The people were drunken and ugly. It was filled with nothing but crime and misery. Far into the part of town was a small shop where old rags, bottles, bones, and wares were bought and sold. Upon the floor were keys, chains, hinges, files, scales, and weights heaped upon each other. Sitting among the mess was a small, gray-haired old man, 70 years old, named Old Joe. Scrooge and the Phantom came upon this man just as a woman with a heavy bundle entered the shop. Then another woman followed and was closely followed by a man in the faded black. None were at all startled by the sight of each other. They smiled in a knowing way. All three burst out laughing. Let the housekeeper go first, then the laundress. The undertaker will be third. You couldn't have met in a better place, said old Joe, taking the pipe from his mouth. Come into the parlor. The parlor was a space behind the screen of racks. The old man stopped to rake the fire and put his pipe back in his mouth. "'What odds?' said the first woman. Then she sounded as if she were defending all the actions. "'Every person has a right to take care of himself. He always did.' "'True, true,' echoed the others. 
A dead man won't care we took these belongings. What would he have done with them? And if he was a nice man, someone would have looked after him at his death. But that is what he gets. He deserves worse, said the undertaker, much worse. Let's open our bundles and show what we took from him. They revealed many trinkets that they had stolen from the dead man. Old Joe took note of everything and offered each a fair sum for the trinkets. They presented boots, shirts, sugar, tongs, silver, buttons, the sheets off his bed, blankets, towels, and old-fashioned teaspoons. Old Joe looked at the blankets. I hope he didn't die of anything contagious. No worries of that, said the housekeeper, and look at his shirt. She pointed to the undertaker's pile. So glad we aren't wasting them. How would they have been wasted, asked old Joe. Well, if we buried him in the shirt and wrapped him in the blanket, said the undertaker. He laughed. Somebody was was a fool enough to do it, but I stripped him out of them. He didn't deserve them. Scrooge was horrified at what he witnessed. He viewed them with disgust. Then old Joe produced a flannel bag with money in it. This is the end of it. He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us when he died. Ha ha. Spirit, said Scrooge, shuddering from head to foot. I see see the case of the unhappy man. It, It might be my own. My life leans that way now. Merciful me, what is this? He recoiled in terror, for the scene had changed. He was near a bed. A ragged sheet lay upon something. He knew something awful was beneath the sheet. The room was dark, too dark to see clearly. Scrooge looked around, anxiously trying to decide what kind of room it was. A pale light fell straight onto the bed. The outline of a man's body could be seen. Scrooge glanced towards the phantom. Its steady hand pointed towards the head. The slightest move of the sheet would uncover the face. This Scrooge did not want to do. He wondered what would happen if this man could rise now. What would he think? He lay in the dark without a man, woman, or child to grieve. No one cared he was gone. No one but the cat scratching at the door and the rats stirring beneath the hearth begging to be let in. Why were they so restless now? Scrooge didn't dare to think. Spirit, get me out of this wretched place. In leaving it, I shall not leave the lesson taught me here, cried Scrooge. Still, the ghost pointed with an unmoved finger to the head. I understand you, said Scrooge, and I would do it if I could, but I cannot. I do not have the power. If there is anything in this town, anyone, anyone in this town who feels sad by this man's loss, I beg of you to show him to me. The phantom spread its dark robe before him for a moment. When he moved it, he revealed a room of daylight. A woman and her children were inside. The woman was expecting someone and was anxious. She paced the room. Finally, her husband returned. The man's face was worn. He had the look of a living, of a life full of worries. But there was a gleam in his eyes today, a gleam he knew he couldn't repress. He sat down at dinner. When she asked him of the news, he couldn't contain himself. It is bad news of sorts. He smiled a bit. Are we ruined? asked his wife. She too had a look beyond her years. Not yet, Caroline, said the man. There is hope. Only if he relents, she said amazed. That is our only hope. He is past relenting, Caroline. He is dead. She clapped her hands. She was glad to hear it and was overcome with joy. She begged forgiveness in the next breath 
for she felt she had sinned being happy for another's death. Still, she couldn't help but show the emotion from the heart. I didn't believe what I had heard last night, but it's true, said the husband, smiling. He is dead. Who will our debt be transferred to? asked Caroline. I don't know, but we'll have our money by then. Even if we don't, no successor will be as cruel and unfeeling as he. We may sleep tonight with light hearts, Caroline. Their hearts were lighter. The children's faces were brighter. What a happy house this had become at the news of a death. The only emotion caused by the event that the ghost could show Scrooge was one of pleasure. Please, Scrooge begged, please show me some more tenderness connected to this death, or the dark chamber which we just left will always be present in me. The ghost moved him through several streets. They entered a home, one that they had entered before. It was Bob Cratchit's house. The mother and the children were seated around the fire. All was quiet. How different from the last time he had visited. Peter read from a book as the children listened. Mother and Belinda sewed quietly. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them, said Peter. Where had Scrooge heard those words before? He had not dreamed them. The boy must have read them as he and the spirit crossed the threshold. Why did he not continue on? The mother laid her work down and covered her eyes. The color hurts my eyes so. The color? Oh no, poor tiny Tim. Father will be home soon, said Belinda, but I think he walks a bit slower now, mother. They were quiet again. Miss Cratchit spoke a minute later, but faltered as she mentioned tiny Tim's name. The door opened and Mr. Cratchit came inside. He was cheerful to his family and spoke pleasantly. He looked at the sewing. Such fine work. You'll be long done before Sunday. Did you go today, Robert? I did. It will please you to see how green and lovely it is. I promise him that I will walk again to him on Sunday. Mr. Cratchit started to cry. My poor child, poor child, my little child. He broke down all at once. He couldn't help it. When he composed himself once more, he told his family about the kindness of Mr. Scrooge's nephew. He is so sincere, Mr. Cratchit said. So sorry for our loss of Tiny Tim. He said if he could help in any way to let him know. He gave me his house address. It seemed as if he knew our Tiny Tim and truly grieved with us. I'm sure he's a good soul, said Miss Cratchit. I can tell he is. You should hear how people speak of him. A good man indeed. He looked sad once again. Let us never forget Tiny Tim, shall we? Never, father, never. The children cried. Always think of how patient and kind he was, even though only a small child. Remember his kindness whenever you feel a turn, said Mr. Cratchit. Always, father, always, cried the children. Scrooge looked at the spirit. I fear our time is short. Please tell me who the man was beneath the sheet. He pointed towards his own house. Let us go there. The spirit stopped. His hand pointed elsewhere. The house is yonder, Scrooge exclaimed. Why do you point away from it? The finger never moved. Scrooge hastened to his office window and peeked inside. It was indeed an office, but not his. The furniture was different. The man in the chair was not himself. The phantom pointed as he had before. He joined the phantom once again. It led him to an iron gate. He paused and looked around before he entered. A churchyard? Ah! Here the wretched man whose name he had to learn lay beneath the ground. It was a worthy place, 
walled in by houses and overrun by weeds. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed to one. Scrooge advanced towards it. He trembled. Before I get close to the stone you point at, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be? Or are these the shadows of things that may be? Still, the ghost pointed down to the grave that stood next to them. Scrooge crept towards it, trembling as he went. Following the finger, he read upon the stone his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. Am I the man who lay upon the bed? He sobbed and fell to his knees. No, spirit, no, no. Tell me no, I beg you. The finger was still there. Spirit, he cried as he clutched the robe. Hear me. I'm not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been. Why show me all of this? I am past all hope. For the first time, the hand appeared to shake. Good spirit, your nature pities me. Assure me that I might yet change these shadows you have shown me by altering my life. The kind hand trembled. I will honor Christmas in my heart, and I will keep it all year. I will live in the past, present, and future. The spirits of all three strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons they teach. Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing on the stone. In his agony, he caught hold of the hand. It sought to free itself. The spirit, being stronger, fended him off. Holding up his hand in a last prayer to have his fate rever reversed, Scrooge saw the phantom's hood and dress shrink. It then collapsed and dwindled down into the bedpost. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining me for this episode. It was fun to read these chapters with you, and I'm looking forward to finishing the book next Tuesday. Don't forget that there's a special episode airing on December 21st, and we'll also have a special episode with a special guest reader airing on Christmas Eve, December 24th. I appreciate all the support you've given me on this podcast. If you have story suggestions or you want to give me feedback, email me at auntiejojoslibrary at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at auntiejojoslibrary and let me know what you think of the podcast. On Instagram, I'll be giving you sneak peeks into upcoming episodes and you'll get a peek of my studio. I'm wishing you all a Merry Christmas and a very happy holiday season. Thanks for listening.